Hello, everybody. I cannot believe what has happened this week. I am wearing a blue deep end shirt. I will let you guess why. <laughs> Twitter has been sold. And why are we paying so much attention to an ugly defamation case between two Hollywood celebrities? And the toxic impact of media on your marriage. This is your favorite night of the week, The Deep End on Tim Hatch Live. Well, he did it, ladies and gentlemen. Elon Musk has purchased Twitter to the chagrin of some and the celebration of others. I am welcoming you to the 25th episode of season five on the deep end. And yes, Twitter is sold. Twitter is sold. Isn't this amazing? By the way, I'm your humble host, Tim Hatch on Tim Hatch Live, youtube.com slash Tim Hatch Live. Make sure that you're liking the video, subscribing and clicking that notification bell so that your phone will tell you whenever we go live. For $44 billion, Elon Musk has purchased Twitter, the, the most simple to use, streamlined communication, social media, device is now in the hands of the world's richest man. Some facts for you about this. Um, he spent one-fifth of his wealth to purchase Twitter. One-fifth. That's when you know someone really believes in something. <laughs> when someone's willing to pony up one-fifth of all that they have to purchase something else, they believe in it. Now, uh, I actually own shares of Twitter. Like two days after <laughs> this whole thing might have gone down, I bought a couple of shares and I, I'm already plus $80. Woo! But this is exciting because I, I will remember yesterday, Monday, uh, April 25th, for a very long time. Why? Because Twitter now has hope to be a space for all people and all views, even some dishonest ones. And may the best view and the truest view win. For too long, Twitter has catered to the woke scolds, to the politically aligned to the properly politically positioned billionaires and elitists in our culture who silence dissent of the approved narratives of these elitists. And I believe those elitists are located centrally in Washington, D.C., Silicon Valley in California, and Hollywood in L.A., and more on that later. But now there's hope. There's hope against the oligarchy that Twitter has become, the oligarchy of wokeism that silences anyone who betrays the narrative. Now there's hope for more than a one-sided political speech being allowed on the world's platform for speech, largest and most easy, easily streamlined platform for speech. What it always was meant to be, a free exchange of ideas rooted in the freedom of speech, the first amendment of this country, is finally perhaps back. I tweeted out a tweet uh, this morning <laughs> Just to test out how free Twitter really is, the tweet was men aren't women. Why did I tweet that out? Because you got banned for saying that as little as a couple of months, years ago, and even months ago. They were, they were banning people for this left, right, and center. Twitter, this article here from The New American, Twitter bans radical feminists for saying men aren't women. You couldn't say men aren't women on what was supposedly being, what, was, was, what supposedly was a free speech platform. That's not good. Because the fact is, men aren't women. I don't know if YouTube, are you going to silence me now? Because men aren't women. You can cut the thing off and sew something else up, and he's still not a woman. All he is, is a mangled man. And you have to understand that this language, men aren't women, this was deemed harmful for trans people. Harmful? How? 
Are we saying, is there a call to action? Is there hate trans people in the speech? Is there trans people are here hideously pe bad people? No, no. There's just a statement of fact. This is worth fighting for. This is worth talking about as a pastor because I deal in the language of speech. I deal in the, uh, what do you call it? The industry of speech. <laughs> Everything that I do is speech. I speak constantly. If there is no free speech, you cannot speak the gospel clearly. Go overseas and learn how precious free speech is. You can't um, evangelize in Israel right now. You, it's, against, it's against the law. You can't evangelize. When I go to our missionary works in Peru and Guatemala, and I've been to Uganda and Kenya and other locations around the world, they always have you fill in the little uh, customs or boarding uh, landing or form. I've always been instructed, don't put you're there for missions. You've got to put their teacher or community development or something else. Because if you put preacher of the gospel, you don't get in the country. That's what the rest of the world deals with. But our country has had this glorious, wonderful, beautiful uh, freedom of speech. And Twitter has worked for the last, oh, I would say five, five years, ever since Donald Trump got elected, let's be honest. They have worked tirelessly to limit and bar speech that they deem harmful. That who is they, by the way? They're uh, Silicon Valley leaders. They're millionaire, billionaire class leaders who have said, no, this is the direction we want to take the country, silence the speech of some, and raise the speech of others for the sake of cajoling the country into an entirely new, and I would suggest very un-American way. Now, of course, some people will view this as a Trojan horse to bring Donald Trump back onto the platform. Gosh, maybe it is. I don't know. Trump has thus far said that he, he wants nothing to do with Twitter and has no interest in coming back. I hope he changes his mind, if only for the news cycles. Remember when Donald Trump would tweet something and the whole news cycle would change automatically? They could be talking about war in Iraq and suddenly he tweets out the fact that he doesn't like uh, some news correspondent on some low-level entertainment thing and everybody suddenly turns their attention to some stupid tweet from Donald Trump. I mean, it, it was fun. It was fun. Was it harmful? No, it was not harmful. Did he... Did he, through Twitter, uh, generate the January 6th insurrection? No. Uh, he never had a call to action in any of his tweets. And even in his speeches, he never had a call to action to invade the Capitol. He told him to march peacefully. But again, we don't hear that because the narrative had to be shaped. The narrative had to be shaped around one political party, about one view of the world, about one view of America and what America should be. And every other voice had to be silenced, banned, threatened, shadow banned. I remember when the election happened and then Donald Trump started tweeting about all the things that he saw wrong with the election. And every time, then Twitter did this little thing where they put this little notification before you like to tweet, a little pop-up. Be careful before liking this tweet because some, some information might be involved in it. And click here to find out how true and fair our election was. And you know what? I, I don't think that the, the election was untrue and unfair. I don't. But I didn't like being lectured by Twitter about what not to like and what to like. You see, when you tell that to an American, American gets mad. Don't tell me what to like and don't tell me what not to like. See, Christians learned this a long time ago. Evangelists, evan evangelical Christians learned this a long time ago because we love to tell people about Jesus and people love to tell us, don't tell me about Jesus. And we've learned, okay, that's just how it is. Sometimes people don't want to be told what to like and who to love and who to worship and all that stuff. That's called America. And evangelical Christians have been playing by that rule uh, the entire time I've been alive. We don't stop saying it. Sometimes people say, don't say it. 
And we say, okay, we won't say it to you. You don't want to listen to it, fine. It's information, it's truth. But if you want to reject it, that's your choice. The same should be true with Twitter in any kind of speech environment in this country. If unless it's a call to action of violence against someone, right? That I agree with, we should silence that speech. But if it's not a call to violence, if it's opinion, if it's ideas, if it's truth, if it's scripture, if it's uh, facts about biology, right? Or if it's conjecture about an election and this results, that should be allowed. That should be allowed because there is no call to action in suggesting what you think or feel or maybe even know to be true about a certain situation. And that, my friends, is why Twitter has become, become so utter, utterly utterly toxic these last few years. Now, this has not stopped from the media from absolutely losing it. This uh, piece here from CNN Business. Elon Musk wants to make Twitter a haven for free speech. <laughs> That's raising alarms. <laughs> I have to laugh. I have to laugh because that's your headline. Elon wants to make Twitter a haven for the First Amendment of our country. And that's raising alarms. For who? For Brian Stelter, probably. Watch this. Look, who knows? I, I think that's, a, a, that's, a, that's a, an example of a broader question for Twitter, which is, if you, uh, if you get invited to something where there are no rules, where there is total freedom uh, for, for everybody, do you actually want to go to that party? Or are you going to decide to stay home? Yeah, that party historically has been America. <laughs> That party has been the First Amendment, the right to assemble, the right to protest, the right to speak, the right of the press, the right uh, of religion. You know, these things that matter to us. That's the party. And we're all part of the party. And we do want to be part of that party. How disconnected does CNN Brian Stetler have to be or Stelter, Steltzer, whatever, have to be to not realize that people like that party? Then another commentator on MSNBC said the quiet part out loud. Now, listen to these listen to these words. And tell me what would be different about these words if they were said maybe, oh, four days ago, before he bought Twitter. Listen. You own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, mm -hmm. all of its nominees. Mm -hmm. Or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Oh, I mean, this is what's happened. They have, the shoe has been put on the other foot. The talon has been put on the other claw. Tweet, tweet. This is where uh, the exposing begins. Jesus talks about this. Nothing you say in secret will be kept in secret. Everything will be exposed. And that, that refers to just a natural, you know, uh, condition of humanity eventually the secret comes out eventually the gossip comes clear uh, comes out you know eventually people find out what you were really saying and now we're finding out that is exactly what the hierarchy hierarchy of the oligarchy the tech big tech government conglomerate high oligarchy have been believing about twitter but now because it's on the other side of their oligarchy they suddenly have a problem with it. You can silence political dissent. You could shadow ban certain accounts. You could elevate other accounts, which is exactly what Twitter has been doing for their side for the last five to six years. By the way, I saw them change this headline from Haven for Free Speech to this literally an hour later. Twitter has been focused on healthy conversations, quote, end quote. Elon Musk could change that. You see how they already, you know, uh, manipulate the narrative? You see, the first, the first headline is what they want to say. 
we are alarmed that he's going to make Twitter a haven for free speech. That's what they wanted to say. But as soon as they you know, test group that and people, you know, push back against that headline. Now they change it to, oh, no, no, no. It's about healthy conversations. Uh, healthy conversations is now code for limited speech, narrative being protected by the oligarchy and the corporate elitists and the Silicon Valley elitists and the Hollywood and Washington, D.C. elitists that are all in on the same page. And I just a couple last week, it was a spokesman for Bernie Sanders who talked about the fact that the he, she's going to bank on the lobbyists for Disney in their fight against Ron DeSantis seeking to remove their special privileges uh, for land ownership in the center of Florida. How ironic. See how they're exposed? How ironic that the person who was a spokesperson for the politician who constantly criticized corp- big corporations who should pay their fair share is now saying, I'm on the side of the corporation. Because when it's not on their side, they suddenly change their tune. So they change the headline. And then, and then everybody's freaking out about a billionaire owning a media outlet. How destructive to our democracy is that? Well, let me put this up on the screen. Look at this list of billionaires who own media outlets. Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. John Henry owns the Boston Globe and the Boston Red Sox, by the way. Sheldon Adelson owns the Las Vegas Review Journal. Lauren Powell Jobs, that's Steve Jobs' widow, owns the Atlantic. Patrick Soon Xiang owns the Los Angeles Times. Billionaires. Mark Benioff owns Time. Where's the outcry over these billionaires owning these companies? Why, why no one cares about those billionaires owning news outlets? That's not... Like the Washington Post is not even an opportunity for people to just post what they want. The Washington Post is they tell you how to think. They tell you what the truth is. They give. They decide what opinion pieces get published so it shapes you. And why I say this, and I'm concerned about this as a pastor, is because they're shaping your kids. They're shaping, and listen to me very carefully here, they're shaping your 20-year-olds. They're shaping your 30-year-olds. This is why some parents have this falling out over a political issue with their children because the narrative has been so ingrained through their teenagehood and their 20-somethings and even into their 30-somethings that they have undermined your relationship with your children and they have brought division. How many of you can say you're no longer talking to your child about whatever other issue in the world because they are so adamantly opposed to how you raised them? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. The billionaire class, which owns the media, which produces the narrative, has come in between you. They have driven a wedge between you and your child. And as a pastor, this is enraging. Look, kids have plenty of other reasons to go astray, okay? Plenty of other temptations on their life. They don't need big tech media conglomerates working together to undermine your authority as a parent. They need they need a neutral playing field. They need a playing field that is not going to limit, suppress, shadow ban, and shadow promote certain uh accounts and opinions to shape the culture, shape the mindset, shape the understanding of the world for your 20-somethings. I know that the 50-year-olds listening to me, you're probably not on Twitter. You're probably wondering, why do I care? I care because I'm right in the middle. I'm right in the middle of the parents and the young people. And I've seen for the last three years this battle royale between uh, boomer generation and millennial and Gen Z generation where they're just constantly fighting, fighting, no longer talking to each other, no longer having Thanksgiving with each other. Because of what? Because the billionaire class came in between and they shaped those young kids who are impressionable. That's what kids are. They're impressionable against their parents and the parents no longer have a relationship that is strong with their children. And that should enrage everybody. That should enrage everybody. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar and he seeks division and he is the master of division. He is so good at division, you have to remember that 
He divided one third of the angels from heaven. You are a master divider when you can take people out of heaven and bring them down to earth and, and, and solidify their future in hell. Like, how do you convince angels to give up their position of privilege in heaven to go follow you to hell where you will suffer eternally? The only way you can do that is through being a master of division. And that's why this conversation needs to happen in churches. This is why pastors need to talk about this. This is why you need to talk about it, why you need to know what's going on. Of course, uh, little guy warrior Elizabeth Warren suddenly now has an opinion about what uh, Elon Musk is doing. Well, not she, she has a problem with Elon Musk before this, but, but has a problem suddenly with billionaires owning media corporations. Here's what she says, Senator of Massachusetts, Senator Warren, this deal is dangerous for our democracy. By the way, that line, dangerous for our democracy. Let me tell you what that means. When you hear news outlets say it's dangerous for our democracy, what they mean is it's dangerous for the America that we want to create. That's what they mean because they say it all the time. Watch. Exactly what people think. And this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. Yeah, it's extremely dangerous for our democracy. They all say it. News media across the world say this because what they really mean is it's dangerous for what we want America to become. We want America to become this, whatever it is that they want. And I, I believe I know what it is. It's a quasi-socialist utopia where there are no genders. There are no, uh, there, you know, the Christian underpinnings of our society are completely eliminated. And, and anybody can do whatever they feel is right, you know, and, and more drugs and more, you know, uh, uh, pleasures and you know, lovers of self and self-promotion, all those kind of things that lead to destruction of community. They lead to destruction of community. So back to Elizabeth Warren, she says, billionaires like Elon Musk play by a different set of rules than everyone else, accumulating power for their own gain. We need a wealth tax and a strong rules and strong rules to hold big tech accountable. Well, I agree about that last part. We need to hold big tech accountable. Yes. But now you're coming to the party, Elizabeth Warren. See, Elizabeth Warren traffics and being for the little guy against the big guy, but she's been okay with Twitter's one-sided narrative uh, up until now. Now the shoe or the claw is on the other talon. And that's what's going on right now in this argument. Suddenly Liz is concerned. Suddenly she's concerned about a private company, about a private company that might change how they do business when how they might do business will, will, will challenge the way that she likes them doing business. Now she has something to say. Oh, and mind you, everyone concerned that a private company might change how they do business told all of us to stick it up until yesterday when we complained about a private company, AKA Twitter, about the way that they did business as a private company. Now they have a problem with a private company doing business the way they wanna do business. I give you this, <laughs> this example. This is from a guy named Robert Reich. I don't even know who he is. I think he works for the New York Times. Back in July of 2021, Trump is suing Facebook, Twitter, and Google for violating his first amendment rights by keeping him off their platforms. Someone should remind him that they're private companies to which the first amendment doesn't apply. Okay, fine. This he tweeted out yesterday. Musk and his apologists say that if consumers don't like what he does with Twitter, they can go elsewhere. But where else would consumers go to post short messages that can reach millions of people other than Twitter? The free market increasingly reflects the demands of big money. <laughs> the talent is on the other claw. And that is just hilarious. The, ex the exposure of these frauds who champion freedoms until those freedoms challenge their, their desire to control and manipulate the narrative. All that to say, this is very, very, no, really, really good news. Really, really, really good. That's really good news. It's good. Yes, uh, I make no apologies for the fact that I am a huge, huge Elon Musk fan and good for you. And I am on the platform. I hope you are on the platform. 
Oh, I got started saying that, you know, I was liking all those things about what Donald Trump would say about the election. Just not because I agreed, but just because I didn't like Twitter saying not to like it because it might be misinformation. I just didn't want to be told what not to do. And I watched it as that happened. Like a month later, I started to lose on average 10 followers a month, just like clockwork. And I have I gain like one follower every three months and lose another 10 every month. It's just you're you know that they are manipulating this thing. And uh, it is being shadowy, you know, shaping of, uh, of, of, of the whole platform. It hopefully is going to change. And I hope so. And I, I trust that it will. We'll see. Uh, let's do Pastor Reacts because we got to talk about something that I don't want to talk about. We got to talk about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and how their marriage literally crapped the bed. All right, so you got this two-year marriage. Johnny Depp and Amber Heard were married in 2015 while they were both, by the way, well, previously married to other people when they met and then divorced those people and then got married in 2015. They got divorced in 2017. Amber Heard made headlines, I think, in 2018 for writing a Washington Post op-ed about how abusive Johnny Depp was. Uh, Now, their laundry is just being tossed into the Internet just tossed into the media. Uh, This is very sad. It's very embarrassing. Johnny is 58. Amber is 36. That's a 22-year difference. That is a problem right there. Second problem, they met on a film set during a sex scene in the shower. That is also not the best way to find a spouse. Just going to let you know, great ways to find a spouse. Some of them not so great. Filming a sex scene in a shower and meeting, not good. Johnny talked about in his deposition about how the chemistry was immediate and they both divorced their spouses. Oh, by the way, she was quote unquote married to another woman. So she divorced the woman to get married to Johnny and he divorced his wife to get married to her. And they were together for two years. During that time, we were learning how toxic that relationship was. Abuse, physical, verbal, uh, a drug binged wedding. Amber evidently, I don't know, defecating on the bed. That's why I say they literally crapped the marriage bed. This was supposed to be some kind of a practical joke. Uh, now this defamation lawsuit has been brought by Johnny Depp against his ex-wife because she, he claims that Heard falsely portrayed him in 2018 as a domestic abuser. She kept him from the kids. Uh, I don't know how the custody battle worked out, but anyway, he's going after her for all these issues that has caused for him. The news is everywhere. The news is everywhere. It's, it's revealing a lot of the behind-the-scenes issues of this marriage. Uh, this uh, screenshot here is of the live uh, trial going down on YouTube yesterday. That was day eight. And, you know, 336,000 people watching in the middle of the day, by the way, which is like, this is why um, you can't get someone to show up to do work at your house or <laughs> your packages on Amazon are getting delayed because no one's showing up to work anymore. They're all just watching Johnny Depp and Amber Heard's testimony trial because the government handed them so much money over the last two years that they don't need to work anymore. There's hundreds of thousands of comments on the, sh- on the video, hundreds of thousands of people shot watching and commenting comments such as this is better than any movie I've ever watched or here for Amber heart sign or team Johnny fist bump. Like this is our culture being our culture. And we are being given a front row seat to marriage without God. We are, be- we are being given a front row seat to the childish nature of humanity and why God matters in your life. Because when we have no God, we have no boundaries. We have no tether to rationality. The supreme rational being of the universe is God. 
God is the one who thought this all into being, whose thoughts are not our thoughts, higher than our thoughts, and whose thoughts thought of you, right? And this scripture talks about this in the Psalms. I rejoice of your thoughts about me. They are countless, right? Yeah, God thinks you up. He thinks about you. He has great thoughts for you. I know the plans I have for you, Jeremiah says to the people of Israel as they're going into exile. You you need God in your life because you need to be tethered to rationality. Rationality around the one who created the universe, not just you, but the universe. And when you are untethered from that rationality, you turn into a fool. That's why the book of Proverbs talks about the fool endlessly because the fool thinks he's wise in his own eyes, doesn't listen to instruction, doesn't heed advice, doesn't honor the elder, doesn't, you know what I'm saying? Bloviates about everything that he thinks is right because he's untethered from truth. He's untethered from the one who made him. Now I'm all for entertainment. I am. I'm a big fan of shows and movies, and I think, you know, they do a wonderful thing for us. It's a great escape. It's a good time out. You get done with work. You have time at lunch, dinner, and then you watch a chill out and watch a show that you like. I, I've always done this in my life. I don't think that's bad or evil. But our country is structured in such a way that entertainers are way too valuable and celebrities are way too important. This has happened over the last 50 some odd years. You know, there used to be a place for entertainment. Now it literally eats up our entire lives. This is how, this is, you know, the Netflix effect. You don't watch one episode of the show. You watch the entire show from beginning to end. My, my children have binge watched entire shows that it took my, my wife and I 10 years to watch. They would binge watch it in a week. Now, of course, I tell them, don't do that. It's the science is out there that it causes you to be depressed, anxious, and all that kind of stuff. You're not meant to do it. You're not meant to sink your whole life into Hollywood. And what we're seeing here with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard is Hollywood is bad marriage medicine. Do you want to wreck your marriage? You want to wreck your future marriage? Listen to me, young people who aren't married yet. Just pay attention to Hollywood. Just watch their shows. Just think that the fake uh, fiction that they put on the screen in bright pixels before you is real and your life will be jacked up. Remember, we are just one month removed from Will Smith smacking Chris Rock at the Oscars over a joke about his wife that Will Smith first laughed at. We ran the tape back here on this show. Chris told the joke. Will laughed. Will looked at Jada. Jada wasn't laughing. Will gets up and assaults Chris Rock on stage. And am I the only one? And let me know in the comments below. Am I the only one that can't watch a Will Smith movie right now? I just can't. It, I just feel icky. I, I probably should forgive. I don't know. Maybe that's a problem with me. I don't know. Let me know in the comments what you think about that. But I'm having a problem watching it because, gosh, talk about spineless. Like, if you think the joke's funny, funny, laugh. And if your wife, you know, she she uh, doesn't like the joke, well, deal with that after. Don't go and assault Chris. I mean, I, and, and kudos back to, back to that whole issue. Kudos to Chris Rock for not retaliating and taking the high road across the board. He was in Boston the next night having a, uh, having a show, and everybody was just kind of like rooting against Will Smith. And he said, "No, don't do that. Don't do that. No, no. no Will Smith's a good guy. I love and you know, good good job, Chris Rock, for taking the high road in what was a very embarrassing inv- uh, uh, moment for you." Anyway, then there was video leaked of uh, Jada Smith filming Will Smith. And posting it to Instagram while she complained to the, her marriage counselor about the problems with their marriage and how many of the things were his fault. And he's saying, please don't film me. My image is my life, my, 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 you know, my payday. Don't film me. And it's just so disgusting, embarrassing to watch. I refuse to play it on this show. You can find it elsewhere. But that's, you know, Hollywood. Bad marriage medicine. Bad marriage medicine. 
Now, I do understand and I do uh, admit some celebrity couples have marriages that work. Some really stick it out over the long term. I think about Tom Hanks and his wife. What's her name? I forget what her name is. Um, oh, she's she's a good actress herself. But they've made it work. I mean, uh, I'm sure it's not easy. You know, you you do these sex scenes or these kissing scenes with someone who's not your spouse. First off, it's very unchristian. Okay, so I'm not claiming that any of these people who do these things are Christian. In fact, Chris um, Pratt lost his spouse. Uh, what was her name? I forget. But lost his marriage over a sex scene that he filmed with Jennifer. Oh, I'm I'm I'm. Yeah, what is it? Uh, Hunger Games girl. What's her name? Let me know in the comments. You know what I'm saying? Chris Pratt films this. Jennifer Lawrence films the sex scene with Jennifer Lawrence in the movie uh, Passengers, and then a month later he's getting divorced. And even in interviews, Jennifer Lawrence talks about the fact that it was a very uncomfortable scene for her to film because she knew he was married. So I'm not saying that this is like these are good Christian people. No, I'm not saying that. I don't think there is a place in Christian life and faith for someone to be married to someone and then film this passionate love scene, makeout scene, sex scene on film. That's not art. You can't justify it by saying it's art. I'm sorry. There, there's a score of evidence now that's coming out that talks about how uncomfortable those scenes are how often there's sexual abuse happening in those scenes, how everybody's watching and it's just embarrassing and awkward and yuck. And you got to read some of that stuff because you will never watch another sex scene on film again. If you read the behind the scenes stuff about it, and Sarah Silverman talked about one particular issue with her during a sex scene and she was just feeling raped the whole time. You will never, ever watch these scenes again. And I told you a couple weeks ago, I fast forward all the sex scenes. I don't want to watch two strangers making out. I don't want to watch two people who are married to other people making out or having some sex scene on film. You say, well, why do you even watch the show in the first place? Well, maybe I shouldn't, to be honest with you. But the fact is, sometimes we just get hooked on the story and then we just kind of make some allowances, right? But you skip, you skip. It's easy to skip. And there's even a service, and I don't know if we can post the link to it in the description of, of how you can get these shows kind of delivered to you through the service where all that stuff is eliminated, including bad words and Jesus Christ's name used, being used uh, flagrantly and, and all that kind of stuff. But the point is, back to the original conversation here, is Hollywood is bad marriage medicine. And that's what we're finding out with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And it's on display for the world to see. And I hope you're learning something. I read an article called Don't Let Hollywood Ruin Your Love Life. It's by Tim Muhoff, professor of communication at Biola University. And he writes this. Uh, he writes about the rom-com effect. A fascinating study was done by relationship experts that sought to determine if romantic comedies influenced how we view love, sex, and marriage. And listen to this. A test group of 100 volunteers watched romantic movies and then discussed their view of love and marriage or romance. Sorry. Research concluded that these comedies could easily, quote, spoil your love life, end quote, by fostering unrealistic ideals of love, such as believing fate brings individuals together and that a soulmate will anticipate your deepest needs without you having to voice them. And so to that end, let me just unpack the highlights of this article about how unchristian they are. Number one, unrealistic expectations are set up in the rom-com. The rom-com, ro romantic comedy just so you don't know, if you don't know the lingo. Rom-com, romantic comedy. That's the, um, you know, My Best Friend's Wedding and uh, pretty much every Jennifer Aniston movie that's ever existed and, you know, <laughs> so on and so forth. Unrealistic expectations, such as body image. N not every woman looks like that. Not every man looks like that, right? Career image. Not everyone makes $100,000 a year. Not everyone makes millions of dollars. Not everyone in the hallmark movie script that is just repeated with different characters right not every country down home flannel wearing truck driving dude is secretly an internet billionaire that you happen to go to high school with right 
But this conversation, this narrative is rehearsed and repeated in our brains, on our screens, in our faces, and illuminated into our eyes again and again and again. And it sets up unrealistic expectations for single people and even married people as to what they should expect from their spouse. Number two, fate, not sacrifice, is idolized. Um, this idea, fate, is what brings us together. If you've ever seen that movie, Serendipity, it's um, starring John Cusack and, uh, ooh, what's that girl's name? Kate Beckinsale. And she's just all about fate. And there's these pair of gloves that they find and they go their separate ways and they find other people, but fate brings them back together. And, da, 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 and it sends the message. It sends the message that you married the wrong person if you're not happy. And there's someone out there and fate is trying to bring you to them. And <laughs> this gets into your heart. Like this is where they bring God into the equation. So the scriptures talk about that God is a God of sacrifice. Jesus came and laid down his life. He modeled what God is truly like. He sacrificed. The rom-com says the exact opposite. God is fate showing you through your unsatisfied marriage that you married the wrong person. And there's someone out there with another glove that you need to you know, meet up with and get married to. And the moment you do, you will live happily ever after. Fate, not sacrifice. Uh, thirdly, the first person storyline destroys community and responsibility. Whenever you watch a rom-com, you're always watching it through the eyes of the main character. The main character, um, usually again, back to the narrative of the Hallmark movie, the main character works in the, in the city, is unsatisfied, is engaged to handsome guy over here, but feels unfulfilled in the relationship. So she goes for a break, a sabbatical. She takes a trip to the country to unwind. And while she's there, not interested in marriage or relationships, she meets up with former high school friend Billy. And Billy is driving a red truck and wearing red flannel and cowboy boots and is pretty much unconcerned with everything that drives her nuts in the city. And she doesn't understand, but slowly but surely, without wanting a relationship, a relationship blossoms. And then the relationship flourishes. And before you know it, she's got to go back and break up with the guy in the city to marry the guy in the country because she found out halfway through the movie that the guy is actually not just some hillbilly flannel wearing truck driving down down home cowboy he's actually an internet billionaire who who found some secret device that made life awesome for everybody this is sweet home alabama this is the narrative this is the storyline it's repeated it is repeated because hollywood doesn't come up with any new ideas they just keep vomiting the same crap into your ears every single day so the first person of the narrative is always you are the star of your show. You are the star of this whole narrative and you need to be happy and forget everybody else. Forget relationships, forget vows, forget chastity, forget forget what it takes to actually have a real relationship with other people, i.e. sacrifice, i.e. self um self um deprecation or self uh, proper self-image. You're not the center of the universe, you are part of a universe that you did not create and you did not think of. Number 4. You are not enough without the other, quote unquote, other, right? You, you need to find the other to be complete. And until you do, you will always be miserable, right? This is every rom-com and it's sad. It's just sad. You're, you're not enough. And then the lover, quote unquote, because you're not enough, the lover becomes this godlike fulfillment agent. And I can't tell you how horrible that is for marriage, how horrible that is from relationships. And some of you are dating people right now and you got to listen to me right now. If you are not enough in Christ without them, you will never be enough in Christ with them. You've got to learn to have value in yourself through what Christ has done for you at the cross before you put this weight of expectations on somebody else to be everything for you that you need them to be in order for you to be happy. You cannot set a lover up in the place of God. You cannot do it. You will suffer and they will suffer. And then you will constantly have strife and conflict because you're expecting them to do for you what God has already done for you in Christ Jesus.
Those are the unrealistic expectations. And the article ends with this line. To expect our spouse to completely love, pursue, or understand us is unrealistic and sure to cause frustration and profound disappointment. Amen. Which is why I'm kind of excited, just full disclosure here, at Netflix's recent decline in market value. So their earnings report and subscription report came out last week and they plummeted 200,000 subscribers or something like that. And they say, oh, it's a problem with... um, it's a problem with people sharing their accounts. Suddenly, this is a problem with them sharing accounts. So, you know, Netflix says it has nothing to do with uh, entertainment options like this. A show called He's Expecting, <laughs> where a man is pregnant, like, quote unquote, man, because men aren't women. So a woman pretending to be a man is pregnant. And we're supposed to watch this. This is supposed to be entertainment. This is supposed to be something that we are supposed to enjoy. Watching a woman pretend to be a man get pregnant and give birth. And this is somehow progress in society and we should all celebrate it and rejoice in it because wow, 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 how bold, how brave. No, how idiotic, how insane, how detached from reality do you have to be to actually even utter the words he's expecting. I mean, unless he's expecting a chicken sandwich from his wife, he is not expecting, okay? He is expecting nothing. Because he can't expect, he can't get pregnant. She can, and she can pretend to be a man and then expect, but it is a she. And it will always be a she, no matter what the surgeons do to the genitals. You've got to understand that. And somebody's got to say it, because this is lunacy. And I take you to Walt Disney, who also is learning major, uh, losing major market share and is imploding in their stock price. And this is because they have been exposed for actively trying to promote gender dysphoria and confusion in their programs actively trying to um, uh, promote and uh, position and strategically locate uh, characters in their offerings that are non-binary, that are transgender, that are confused, that are not fitting typical gender roles because typical gender roles, bad, and non-binary sexual confusion and gender confusion, good. And they literally were caught saying that red-handed that they want to continue to promote this in their, in their entertainment offerings. And I give you uh, this news article from the Daily Wire, Star Wars introduces trans non-binary Jedi, not Jedi Knights in their comic strip, Star Wars The High Republic. The trans non-binary, can't even say it because all these words are so ridiculous. Trans non-binary Jedi Knights. The uh, Instagram post says, in honor of Trans Visibility Day, we're proud to unveil an exclusive cover highlighting Tarek and Sarat, trans non-binary Jedi, currently featured in Marvel's High Republic comic. Which is kind of ironic because if you know anything about the Star Wars universe, you know that Jedis are not supposed to be in any intimate relationships at all anyway. So who cares if they're non-binary? Who cares what their gender they are? Who cares how they identify? Because you know what? They're not going to be using their genitals anyway. And so now we have to make them non-binary because we want to promote this issue on to the children. We want to represent. represent. They call it representation. I call it indoctrination. Man, I loved Star Wars when I was a kid. I loved Star Wars. I loved Obi-Wan. I loved Luke Skywalker. I loved you and Vader. Come on. How can you not love Vader's like the ultimate bad guy because he ends up becoming a good guy and actually winning the battle. And he's actually kind of becomes this Christ-like figure that lays down his life to save the Republic. It's a beautiful story. Grew up on it. Still love it. Still watch it with my kids. At no point did I, did I ask the question, what is Obi-Wan's true gender identity? Never once. Never once did I ever ask that question. Do you know why? Because I don't care. I want good storyline. I want a character that I can care about that I can say, wow, okay, he got through or she got through or they got through this problem and they 
and they pressed on and they won and they sacrificed and they they made the the all-in bet and they did it like those are the stories that matter but today no it's not stories that matter it's identities that matter it's ideologies that matter it's values that a small tiny population in los angeles want to infect into your children that matter that's what matters in these stories and that's why netflix is losing market share and disney is losing market share and they can make all the excuses that they want we all know their entertainment offerings are getting worse and worse because it's about ideology it's about indoctrination and it's no longer about resonating with the human condition that there is something wrong in this world the christian message says it's sin and someone has to win the christian message says it's jesus and if we follow that person who risks it all to win the battle, we can all win together. And that, and the Christian message says that's Jesus. And every good offering of entertainment follows that narrative almost to the T and people love it and enjoy it. And the people who don't, the people who don't are disconnected from the real narrative, the meta narrative. Theologians call it the meta narrative of the universe. We know something's wrong. We know someone had to fix it. We know we can't and we need to trust somebody to fix it. And when they, when they do, there is going to be a utopian end. There is going to be a happily ever after. And the Christian message says, that's Revelation chapter 22, the wedding marriage supper of the Lamb. It is going to be glorious and awesome and wonderful. And he will wipe every tear from our eye. Praise God. But the further that Hollywood and entertainment options get away from these kind of narratives, the less attractive those narratives are because they don't resonate with the meta narrative that has already been DNA genetically implanted upon us by the Holy Spirit because we are made in the image of God. That image of God it has everything to do with how we expect life to work. And when we are robbed of that narrative, we tune out or we just give ourselves into debauchery and unholiness and destroy ourselves as is happening with Amber Heard and Johnny Depp and countless others. And these, these, uh, I call them going steady relationship marriages in Hollywood, because really what marriages in Hollywood is going steady. It's really just going steady in high school and it is perpetual adolescence. It's perpetual adolescence. That's the Hollywood effect, the bad medicine on your marriage. Let me bring you now to the Bible effect on marriage because this is important. Here's what the Bible effect on marriage is and it's a far more healthy effect. Number one, it tells you that all are sinners. Romans 3.23, all are sinners fall short of the glory of God. So your expectations are immediately down or at least they're tempered. You're not marrying God, you're marrying a sinner. You're marrying someone made in the image of God who has also failed God. All right, Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things. So that person's heart is not good. That person's heart is a deceitful thing and no one can really understand it. Husbands, if you ever said, I don't understand my wife. Well, exactly. That's very, that's a very biblical understanding of your wife because she can't understand you and you can't understand her. Now, the only way we live with each other is not by fully understanding each other's hearts, but by laying down what we want for what they want. That's the, that, that's, that's why the second point is from the Bible effect on marriage is so important. Sacrifice. Sacrifice is prioritized and necessary. You can't have a great relationship with anybody unless you're willing to sacrifice what you want for the sake of the other person. This is why when you start to get into a marriage relationship, or I'm sorry, a strong dating relationship that might lead to marriage, you immediately start to sacrifice your friendships and relationships with other people, and they don't understand it. They might say things to you like this. Young people, listen, uh, you used to be so cool, and now you're so into this person, and now we don't have this relationship. And you might say, okay, well, let me sacrifice the relationship to be with you. Look, you can't be friends forever with everybody. 
But the person that you marry, you're going to have to learn how to be friends with forever until you die, right? So you've got to sacrifice and lay down your life for them. And you might have to upend your relationship with other people that are not married to you for the sake of the person that is married to you. And sacrifice is required for any meaningful relationship. You have to say no to a bunch of opportunities to say yes to the really important one, which is having someone with you to stand by you and by your side. Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your husbands, sacrifice. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands model sacrifice for your wife. It doesn't mean you give in to everything she wants and everything she likes. It means that you're willing to lay down your life for her and show her that you love her by actions that matter to her and matter to your children, right? It means that you're willing to do the hard stuff to make the marriage work that might prick your pride or humble you in some ways, okay? Number three, the Bible is God's story, not yours. You are part of his body. He is not part of your body. There is this nomenclature in the church. Ask Jesus into your heart. You can't ask Jesus into your heart because he can't fit there. You surrender your life to Jesus. You surrender your heart to Jesus. You fit into him. He doesn't fit into you. Now, yes, he takes up leadership in your heart. He does. Uh, Colossians talks about set aside Christ as the Lord of your heart, right? Yes, that's true. But there's not like this God-shaped hole that he fits into in your heart. No, you surrender your life and you fit into his place in his body, right? The Bible's not about you. The Bible's about Jesus. Luke chapter 27, I mean, uh, Luke chapter 24, sorry. Um, number three, you are enough in Christ. Marriage doesn't define you. Colossians 2.10, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In, you've got to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus who loves Jesus, who knows that Jesus loves them, who knows that they are secure and safe in Jesus and nothing can repair, nothing can tear you apart from Jesus that we were talking about on the deep dive as we were going through the book of Romans and we were talking about that no condemnation, no separation that ties us to God and we are firm in him and free in him so that our vertical relationship with God is solved and now our horizontal relationships can be healed because we can love selflessly. And then lastly, God alone is the filler of all things. Oh, let me put them on the screen. God alone, not the lover, not your date, not the person you're married to. God alone fulfills you. Ephesians 1.23, Christ who fills all in uh, in every way with himself. You've got to know this. You've got to believe this. This has got to be the heart song of your life. And a lot of guys have been indoctrinated also by this culture because masculinity has been under attack and our culture wants to turn men into women. Uh, he's expecting, right? <laughs> and our culture wants to demonize the male uh, gender, uh, left, right, and center. It's all over the place. And consequently, males are no longer interested in marriage. Well, I wonder why. Because every time we portray marriage on the screen, it's the woman bossing the man around. The, the man is stupid and a fool and the woman is has all the answers and she's right. And um, so if you want to be a stupid fool, get married which is actually a counter narrative to what scripture says. Proverbs 18:22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So it is a good thing for a man to be married because the Lord will give you favor. And I am a living example of that. My marriage is not perfect, but my marriage is covered with favor. My life is covered with favor because of that wife that I have. Amen. And then finally to learn that uh, the parent-child relationship has to end at some point and the marriage relationship has to be number one. Genesis 2.24, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. He will leave and cleave and they shall become one flesh. Parents, you need to let go. Let me just say this in summation. Some of the problems that we have with perpetual adolescence is because of parents who perpetuate adolescence. Some of the problems that we have with perpetual adolescence is because parents will never let their kids grow up. They let them stay at their houses until they're 30. They let them live in the bathroom until they're 45. And they let them play video games and not get a job and not pay their own bills. You want to put your kids out at some point. 
Uh, my assistant was telling me this yesterday. She just, her and her husband gave their son away, their only son away to his wife. They got married this past Wednesday. Wonderful, beautiful. She was celebrating. She was happy. She was excited. She told me that some Christians at the marriage were like, at the wedding, were like, hey, why aren't you crying? Aren't, aren't you sad that you're going to lose him? She's like, no, I've been praying for this my whole life. I pray that he will do this. This is what you're supposed to do as a child. You're supposed to grow up and move out. This is the path. This is what I did. This is what you did. Right? Like, but what has happened, what has happened, and I'm talking to Christians, because Christians, you fall for this all the time. You think that the child defines you. You think that the child is yours. It's not. He's alone. She's alone to you for a certain time. Your job is completed when they can move out and live on their own and they can stop calling you about every little problem and you don't get dragged into their marital fights and you don't get dragged into every little issue that they have. You let them sink or swim sometimes because you know what you want to do? You want to teach them how to swim. And sometimes you got to throw them into the deep end of the pool and let them struggle for a minute before they get their bearings. Not literally, that's a physical, that's not a literal example. <laughs> that's, just a, that's just a metaphor for life. Don't be going throwing in your baby in the deep end of the pool and then blaming the deep end. I know it's called the deep end, but not for that reason. Guys, that's the show. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I uh, have talked a lot and give me your comments and thoughts below. I so much love them. I, re I read every single comment and I don't react uh, live because sometimes I just don't have the time and I will soon. And I'm looking forward to changing the channel that way. We tried it with the deep dive last week, but it didn't work. We'll fix it. We'll get it done so I can see your comments live and react to them in, in real time. Support the channel if you would, guys. We have monthly sub, uh, subscribers to this, the Cash app or timhashlive.com slash support. Um, make sure that you are tuning in tomorrow for the deep dive as we go through Romans chapter 12. We can, we're going to conclude that conversation. Also, 10 questions with Tim is coming up next Thursday. So get your questions in at ask at timhashlive.com or in the comments below. Uh, either way is fine. If you haven't already, followed us at all of the social media channels. Leave a review on the podcast app. It has been an absolute pleasure to be with you guys. I will see you tomorrow night for the deep dive. God bless.